Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. This is the place among the family of FreightWaves FreightCast, where we talk about oil and we can talk about other stuff too. We'll be joined in a few minutes by Eric Weinberg of Talia, who is going to talk about his company's recent paper on inventory management in the midst of the pandemic and how the supply chain has changed. It has been quite a week in the world of oil, not so much about the movement in price, but rather the sight of the Biden administration asking the OPEC Plus group to put more oil on the market. Joe Biden has been around long enough to know that high prices are an absolute political nightmare for the party in power. He was elected to the Senate in 1972, so he was there during the gas lines of 1973 and 1974, as well as those of 1979. He has to know that high oil prices were disastrous for Jimmy Carter when Carter lost to Ronald Reagan in 1980. But a lot of political leaders who are younger have not dealt with that. They don't know that when gasoline and by extension diesel prices start rising to uncomfortable levels, it becomes the number one issue in the country. And I'm not using the term number one lightly. Those regular polls about what do you think is the biggest issue in America today always had gasoline prices or always have gasoline prices at the top when the levels get really high. But after years when even the highest prices of 2011 and 2012 weren't so bad that they were causing a lot of difficulties in the economy, a lot of political leaders are starting to wake up to the reality that what's going on now is a really big deal. But here's the irony. It appears that President Biden has asked OPEC to put more oil onto the market just when there are signs that the imbalance is caused by not enough supply for rapidly rising demand. That imbalance may have hit its widest point. The most solid evidence of that came in this month's statistical report from the International Energy Agency. The IEA's numbers are often criticized, but they're also probably looked to closer than anybody else's. The IEA's report came out Thursday of this week, and its key point for the market going forward is that regardless of what President Biden might have asked of the group, what looked like a severe imbalance is starting to get back into a little more semblance of normalcy. Remember that OPEC Plus is an organization that is made up of the 13 members of OPEC, as well as the group of non-OPEC oil exporters led by Russia. Under the deal the organization reached in mid-July, they will reduce the level of previous cuts by 400,000 barrels per day each month. In other words, they're going to increase production by 400,000 barrels per day every month. And that will result in a 2 million barrel per day increase in supply by the end of the year. In July alone, the IEA said world production had gone up 1.7 million barrels per day from just a month earlier. It also said that what had been seen as a big supply gap in the fourth quarter has narrowed significantly because of the OPEC plus deal. And here was the kicker line. The deal agreed last month could even tilt the market toward oversupply by early next year. That supply is running into a significant slowdown in demand growth. The IEA believes July demand actually fell from June, about 120,000 barrels per day, which is a lot. That's global. That's not just the U.S. Most of that came in China and came as a result of the Delta variant. The IEA then went on to reduce its estimate of second half 2021 demand by 500,000 barrels per day from what it originally forecast. That's a lot. Note that it still sees demand going up from last year. It just sees it going up a lot less. In June, the IEA estimated that demand was up 3.0 million barrels per day from May. Now it sees full year's demand rising for the year by 5.3 million barrels per day from last year, which means that June alone accounted for more than half of that. That shows you just how much of a demand slowdown the IEA sees. It's a lot. Mind you, this is hardly the end of the oil era. The IEA thinks oil demand will be up 3.2 million barrels per day next year. 
Before the pandemic, oil demand annually was going up about 1.1 to 1.5 million barrels a day. So the market may be swinging toward a balance that really has nothing to do with President Biden's call for more supply. But let's also note that he suggested that we may need an investigation in the gasoline prices, and by extension, though he didn't say it, diesel prices as well. I do want to point out that every time the price of gasoline rises significantly, there's a call to have an investigation, and sometimes they actually happen. And you know what they all find? They all find nothing. The idea is that there is this 100 million barrel per day world oil market, this behemoth, and that it's being controlled or manipulated by a group of individuals. That really is too crazy for even the movies. So actually, the movies have probably done that. We've had a growing supply and demand imbalance because companies stopped investing in new production during a period of low prices. And that was followed by a surge in demand as the world came out of the pandemic. That's what happened. Not some spy novel nonsense. Conspiracy theories may be fun, but this one is nonsensical as all the others. We are going to shift here on Drilling Deep, as we always do a few minutes in, to talk to our guest of the week. You know, it's easy to think that what the supply chain has been through in the past almost really year and a half is an outlier and will be back to normal one day. But there is a growing chorus of voices that a snapback is not in the offing, that some of what we've seen happen is likely to keep happening. And the old normal is just that, old and not to return. Eric Weinberg is the head of inventory management at Talia, which offers a full suite of supply chain solutions to a wide range of customers. But, you know, they're also thought leaders, too. And they recently put together a paper entitled Profitability Through Inventory Management, A New Approach. I took a look at it and I thought this would be an interesting topic for Drilling Deep. And uh, Eric is joining us today here on Drilling Deep to talk about that paper and some of the conclusions that they've reached. Eric, thanks for joining us here. Why don't you talk about your firm a little bit and what you do there? Great. Thank you. Good to be here. Um, yeah, Talia is a, uh, a global fintech provider of working capital management solutions. We work on the, the payable side and supply chain finance, dynamic discounting, receivables, and the whole order to cash space. And, uh, and now we're adding inventory to that mix. Um, so we process about $500 billion in, in payments annually, and we are global and in, in operating in 168 countries. Okay, so when you say you're adding inventory management, uh, how do you how does that how do you get added from what you were doing already? So previously, the primary focus was, I guess, on receivables. When you described the company to me, I first the first word that came to mind was factoring. You know, I know you you probably would say you're not clearly a factoring company, but you're kind of similar. So how do you add inventory management to that? So yeah, I mean, standard supply chain finance is is usually per helping companies extend. Uh, the payment terms with suppliers and help enable suppliers to to do that, and so it's a working capital benefit to to the buyer, to the company, but it's also a benefit to the supplier who gets paid early. Um, inventory, you know, is 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 the third uh, leg of that working capital equation that rolls up to the company's balance sheet of of the whole cash conversion cycle. And if you think about it. Supply chain finance has, has focused on extending payment terms to essentially match, you know, the cash cycle of longer payment terms from suppliers to cover that inventory cycle and the sell through of inventory. And and now inventory is the hardest part to um, to fix on the on the equation, but we're adding that into 
uh, enable transformation, use technology to uh, get get you know buyers and suppliers what they need in the you know end to end commercial uh, process. So it, it's all about improving commercial trade and uh, and where can we add value to, uh, especially in these days, as you mentioned, uh, the new normal is definitely um, lots of uncertainty and, uh, and it's basically something we can count on now. So let's say I was a potential customer of yours, or we'll put it into you know real brass tacks and tell, us, tell me how you would tell me that your system helps me. So let's say I've got an inventory of widgets um, I, you know, we all took economics class, or not everybody, but a lot of us who took economics classes know that widgets are the, uh, are the what we describe as any product. Uh, how do you do, how do you help me with my in, my widget inventory? So usually uh, we can we can be on two sides of things. It's usually on the inbound uh, widget inventory. So if you're an OEM manufacturer, you need bids for production, and a lot of companies just want you know those goods just in time for production, but if you can't rely on those suppliers to deliver just in time, you need some level of buffer stock and some level of uh, of inventory on hand. And then the question is, do you want to own that yourself as a as an OEM manufacturer, or do you want to have it nearby where you can see it, have visibility, and then you know order behind that to either increase shipments or slow down shipments? But that buffer stock is what's needed in production for keeping the factory running. And you can have everything orchestrated just great, but if you have one or two parts that didn't arrive, the factory may shut down, right? So then you have lost sales and a bigger revenue uh, problem for the company. Now, how will your inventory management product have worked to help the chip shortage? So, I mean, the, the chip shortage is a, uh, is a good example. Um, it is a, a bigger issue than say what you know we could wave a wand to to fix but if 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 a company had had used buffer stocks inventory or knew that they if they're going to if they know they're going to take the goods say in the second half of the year they can order sooner we would hold the goods they would have more inventory on hand to be able to weather through say a short term storm maybe that's 90 120 days and it's that's usually kind of a, a period, but it, it, you know, these days it could go longer, but at the end of the day, we can't fix the production problems, say in Taiwan. Um, and, and so we can, if a company works with us, we can prevent uh, a certain amount of that uh, uh, imbalance between supply and demand. It, it's basically, if you think of kind of leveling the waves and the, in the bullwhip effect of, shortages and then too much inventory, we can be that shock absorber in the middle. Um, but right now it's it's very much a unique situation because now when when you people don't think they they can get chips, everybody's ordering more than they want than they can or as much as they can. And production is 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 just uh static. You know, there it takes a while to build up new uh semiconductor chip manufacturing. Yeah, so you're not mere yeah, sorry. You're not miracle workers, but so there's some problems yeah. not fixable. But but I but I can see your point about how it can yeah. provide some sort of comfort or some sort of buffer in, in a difficult time. Um you you in, in your paper you had a page and the headline of it was just in time versus just in case. 
Now, I'm, it's, it's ironic we're speaking today because today is FreightWaves Cold Chain Summit, and I interviewed a, uh, a, a logistics manager from a big fast food restaurant chain. And uh, he was talking about, and we, we, we got to talking about how the, uh, the demand from customers for everything, anything they want, and they want it right now, is changing inventory management. Um, because it used to be you could keep it just in time because you assumed that the inventory was going into some kind of middleman dis distributor, and now it's coming right out of some distribution center right to the home. How much is that demand for a product right now? Uh, maybe not at an OEM, but at the end retail customer. How much is that affecting inventory management from your perspective? Uh, that's, um, I think, affecting it a lot. And, and that's where I think everybody is reexamining the just-in-time delivery case and, and, and looking farther upstream in the supply chain in terms of the actual supply. Um, and between, there could be a distributor then a manufacturer in China and, and they source raw materials from somebody else. So I think there's a, a lot of focus on where, you know, looking farther upstream beyond your tier one and, and really being able to source supply. So I think I've seen some OEMs that are really looking at um, directly procuring and and uh, having contracts to buy components and make sure they they are on hand to be able to deliver to say a sub assembler. So I think that's that that you know in terms of uh, you know a restaurant, I could see them you know instead of just buying from distributors, you know contracting with with growers or or making sure they have supply much farther upstream. Um, I think you, you hear uh, industry articles about automotives with uh, looking at batteries and, and trying to source, you know, key kind of uh, minerals and elements to, to go into those batteries. So, so they know they have enough supply to deliver to say a battery manufacturer. So I, I think the longer supply chain is, is, is coming back and that's where, um, a lot of these shortages are taking place as farther up. You talked about working capital. And uh, one problem, I think, with working capital is that when the price of things that you need to acquire go up, your your line of credit doesn't necessarily go up with it. And sometimes I know there are companies that have been squeezed. They need to buy, you know, they need to buy 100 widgets and they can only buy 95 because the price of the widget has gone up and their line of credit has not. Is that a growing problem as prices rise? Oh, exactly. Exactly. And that's exactly the type of solution that, that we try to look at uh, and help. But that, that's where definitely seeing that impact on on cash crunch with suppliers. So if they have to order more goods, they they're, they have a finite credit line. Um, so to get the cash to, to fill those orders is, is really tough. Um, and so and, and their cost of capital to finance that is much higher than, say, the anchor tenant in the supply chain. And it's kind of those imbalances that, that you know, we're trying to address in, in that if technology can provide the visibility to inject capital farther upstream to improve those uh, uh, working capital imbalances, that's exactly what we're trying to do. Now, the paper kind of wraps up by talking about fintech as a solution. So fintech is a term that's pretty broad and a lot of things go into it. So how does fintech as a solution, how would it work in what you're offering to customers? Yeah, so fintech is 
it, taking the, the there's a lot of data that's embedded in the in the supply chain, and but it doesn't always get to the right place in, in order to uh, finance things or provide working capital. Um, so fintech can provide the the increased visibility, transparency in the supply chain to see, you know, where the goods are at. You know, has the supplier shipped? Okay, let's just pay them right away. Uh, but you know, on a bigger scale. FinTech, you know, can sit between, it, it's basically a big portal that, that can allow banks to inject capital upstream. Uh, FinTech helps do that and, uh, and automate that whole process. So it's, it's, it's all about the technology and, and the visibility. And by doing that, you, whether it's a, an invoice for a supply chain finance program or for an inventory program, it's all about increased uh, you know, technology to have that that transparency and visibility to make uh, safe, you know, working capital decisions. So let's say over the next two years, what do you think? Are, are there things out there that fintech is going to uh, allow or going to per, I say permit or open up the possibility of uh, to people in the supply chain that maybe they don't have now? What are some of the things that you're really excited about? Yeah, there's there's quite a bit. So very excited about you know, uh, going farther up into the supply chain again, like if you have an anchor client who says, I'll, I will, you know, buy this once it's delivered, then you can go up to the tier one, tier two, tier three, you can finance things all along the way. And so whether that's PO financing or some other kind of supplier financing that, uh, is pre-invoice, uh, that, that is, uh, a very exciting prospect. Inventory can evolve into various uh, commercial flows that may not just be funding um, buffer stocks of inventory or or inventory in transit. It's uh, it, it's technology is is really growing fast. But I I would say um, you know there's there's usually we have millions of suppliers that are out there that need cash and they need to be able to ship and giving them lower cost of, of financing faster is what's going to help, um, you know, the large uh, corporate OEMs and clients that are kind of the anchor tenants in the supply chain. Does, do low interest rates have an impact on the pace of adaptation of fintech that right now you financing almost anything right now is relatively cheap because uh, interest rates are so low. Does that have an impact on your business? So I think it's uh you know, to a certain extent, it's um, the interest rates will, you know, it's kind of the tide that get you know, the market will adjust to. Um, it does get more expensive, obviously, if interest rates go up. And that's where uh, finding other solutions uh, for for working capital um, will be kind of sought, I think, by clients or, or needed in the, in the market. Um, you know, so it's not just interest rates it's it's kind of the whole cost of capital but it's part of it is is kind of supply chain assurance and if you think about um um you know if there's uh another downturn or it could even be regionalized if there's say credit constraints you know in china or you know so suppliers suddenly can't have access to capital um you know so it it, it Kind of ensures that supply chain for future shocks and uh, and and interest rates um, as they go up, I think will be a big part of it. Are you surprised at how well the supply chain 
had its resiliency during the pandemic? Were you maybe uh, fearing the worst prior to that? Uh, yeah, I was. <laughs> it, when things kind of hit, you know, in March of 19, I, I think that, yeah, there was a big fear. I think there was all kind of a uh, very much a, uh, a a big shock for everybody, even just not just physically in, in the supply chain, but just mentally. Um, but I've just been really impressed how, how you know, people have been very, um, you know, uh, adaptable and, and and how they've figured things out and and tried different either um, freight strategies or buying strategies. Um, you know, I've talked to a lot of companies lately who who just aren't even in the office, and so you know we're all doing this from home. I'm myself included. So um, to kind of have the whole global economy going as well it is it is is pretty impressive. You know, we can talk about you know port issues and, and, you know, shipping issues. Um, but, you know, overall, you know, it, things are functioning pretty well and, and uh, financial markets are going along and have kind of adjusted to it. And, uh, um, you know, so that's very impressive. impressive. So, yeah. Let me ask you one last thing. Are there any inventory management practices of the past that the pandemic killed off that will never come back? You know, I, I think guess, put it another way, you know, what changes are permanent? I think that there's there's kind of a permanent change on on kind of the just in time delivery model. Um, if it does continue at that level, it would be with much more upstream visibility that um, say an OEM could could see the the actual instead of just wait for it to ship and then uh, or pull it from a warehouse you know, and, and expect it to be there, but it's not. Um, I think that is really going to go away. I think there's going to be much more upstream visibility and whether it's just in case inventory or, um, you know, I, I think a lot of these expectations are of continu uh, continuity as, um, you know, we can just depend on goods showing up tomorrow. I think that is going away and uh, there's going to be much more um, kind of prove it and, and show that there's um, the goods have been produced or about to ship. And uh, I have the raw materials as a tier one supplier to to produce those at will and deliver it to you tomorrow. I think there's going to be much more um, proof of uh, capacity. Yeah, the check in the mail, the check is in the mail. It's not going to cut it anymore, yeah. right? No, so. no. And, you know, if everything is going along just fine and, and you know, everybody's producing and you know, it is a, a pretty, you know, steady state until there is a sudden shortage or an external factor. I mean, we just have to assume there's going to be uh, hopefully not more pandemics, but, there, you know, there's earthquakes and, and floods that, that can shut down production in a region, you know, that is um, it, it, the whole world's dependent on. So there, we have to just assume that that's going to be there. But if you have a resilient supply chain, if you have agility to, to, to kind of call an audible and, and change, um, you know, it's really having those backup plans in place and uh, strengthening that supply chain is, uh, I think, the future. All right, Eric, we want to thank Eric Weinberg. He's the head of inventory management at Talia. He has joined us here today on Drilling Deep to talk about his product, but also the, the state of the supply chain and inventory management in general. Eric, thank you very much. 
Appreciate it. Thank you, John. So you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the Freight Cash family of podcasts here at Freight Waves. You can find us on all the major platforms for podcasts. I'm not going to list them all because there are just too many, but we are there, I guarantee you. I've been your host, John Kingston, and we hope that you will join us again. Mm-hmm.